Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Uh, how many times have you heard maybe a mother uh, looks at her child there and says, your hands are dirty, says, clean, go wash your hands because you know cleanliness is next to godliness. Go into a messy room. You need to clean up your room because the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. That is what the Bible says. Or is it? We're in our series, Fake News, Things That God Didn't Say. Some things you thought were in the Bible but are not. It's sad to see the ignorance of scriptures in America today. So much ignorance surrounding people's uh, ability to understand. I mean, it, I, I ran across this, it, it, where people thought that epistles were the wives of the apostles, that the minor prophets worked mm -hmm. underground, that their favorite Old Testament hero was Hercules, that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife, and that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. People are extremely <laughs> ignorant of the scriptures today. So many. There's an epidemic of Bible literacy in America. An article in the research done by Lifeway. Uh, and get this. It said that the majority of Christians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. But the majority of them don't read it. 40% of people attending church regularly said they read the Bible only once or twice a month. One out of five said that they never read their Bible. But here's, here's the catch. Here's the clincher. Yet, out of those, 90% of them said, I desire to please and honor the Lord in everything I do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, 3 verse 16, 17 says, All Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. His Word is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine or teaching for reproof or correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, so that we might be complete, mature, furnished, equipped for every good work. It's important that we know, that we recognize the Bible is the Word of God, that God Himself loved us so much He gave us his inspired word, moving, moving upon men as, as, as writers, but, but he's the one who led them, he led them by the power of his spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed. How? How? How are we to live and not be ashamed? We are to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, be accurate and skillfully when we are understanding and teaching the Word. So, it's more than just knowledge of the Word. It's more than just knowing facts. It's, it's studying His Word, getting it down inside of us, and letting those truths affect our lives, change our heart. For the Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It will change us. It's important that we study the Word. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, I believe that that saying can be traced back, part of it can be traced back to the early um, writings of the Hebrews and even Babylonian writings. You can even see uh, some similarities of that statement found uh, 
in writings of the scientist and philosopher Sir Francis Bacon. But in essence, we believe that the, the source that we follow today of this statement goes all the way back to 1791 where John Wesley in one of his sermons wrote, slovenliness is no part of religion. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. And the Greek word godliness, when it says cleanliness is next to godliness, the Greek word godliness there is holiness. So it's saying that cleanliness is next to holiness. Now three things I want us to look at. Three this morning. First of all, I want to look at cleanliness and God's laws. Cleanliness and God's laws. I'm going to look at three different categories. And you could break this up in different ways and even give them different labels. But this is, this is how I did it. That we need to understand that God is for cleanliness. He's not OCD about it. But He does care about it. Now, we see this in His creation. There was design, there was perfection, there was beauty, there was order. We see it in the laws that he gave in the Old Testament. God established laws for the Israelites to follow. You read about this primarily in Exodus and Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. You'll see all through that different laws that God has given his people. We can break these laws down into three main categories that I mentioned before. I, I call them the laws which are commandments. ceremonial laws and cleanliness laws. Now, when we talk about the laws, His commandment laws, we're primarily focusing in on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. What was the primary, per the Ten Commandments can't save anyone, can't, cannot bring righteousness to a person, cannot bring them into a right relationship with God. First of all, it's impossible to keep all of them 100%. All of sin control the glory of God. None perfect, no, not one. But the law there, the Ten Commandments, were like a schoolmaster to instruct us and show us and point us to the fact that we need a Savior. We need someone who keeps the law, someone who lives a perfect life to die in our place. But righteousness does not come through the law. But the law was important. The Ten Commandments were important. Extremely important. And the primary purpose for the Ten Commandments was to establish a governmental order. It was to establish a, a moral code for the people. You go down several of the Ten Commandments, you can see it's important that a society, extremely helpful for society to follow those Ten Commandments about your attitude toward God, your attitude toward one another, your attitude toward your parents, that it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to kill. Now, sometimes people look at those and they, they, they take that and they apply it in, in, in the wrong way. For instance, a little aside here, for instance, Thou shalt not kill. But what about war? What about self-defense? The Bible doesn't contradict itself, so there has to be an explanation. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill, and yet one of the instructions is an eye for an eye, give you know, restitution. Then we have to look and weigh all the Scripture together and see what the truth really is there. This was given for as I mentioned before, a governmental rule for society. This was to be a safeguard for society, to give principles and laws for them to live by. 
Thou shalt not murder. Take a life, personally, individually. Take a life of another. But it doesn't apply to self-defense. You kill someone in a matter of defending you or your family there, you haven't violated that commandment, I don't believe. When a person is uh, convicted and is uh, sentenced to, uh, to death, then that is not a violation of thou shalt not kill. Those were to be applied to society for rule and order. It was not to be, it was, it was, it was, it was important for a moral code for the people, for them as individuals. Now, so we have the commandments that were given for a moral code for government. And then we have a ceremonial or symbolic laws that were given, like different rituals, religious rituals, and uh, washing rituals, washing your hands, washing the cups and dishes, the different, uh, uh, in going through with, with preparing for feast and ceremonies and all the, the process of going through that, there were ceremonies that were to be kept. You were to do it a particular way. It was to be done, and, and sometimes it just seems when you read through these things that it's absolutely ridiculous, but there was a reason for it. So often there's symbolism in those instructions given here that even point to Christ or even teach us spiritual truths. And then the third category that I mentioned is the laws that primarily refer to cleanliness. Well, you read this part of the Bible, it's kind of like a health hygiene dermatology textbook. Nutritional laws are given there. Tells us how to get rid of mold and mildew in your house. You read about that in Leviticus. There's some 100 verses about getting rid of mold and mildew in your house. Deuteronomy chapter 23 tells us, uh, gives certain latrine laws. We're told to find, uh, we're told to recognize what's clean and what's unclean. Unclean, dead bodies, eating certain animals, disease, leprosy, bodily discharges, all unclean. Certain food laws are given, spelling out which animals were clean and which were unclean. Some of these things seem rather ridiculous to us, but you understand that God gave those laws to protect the people. It was for their health. It, it was to spare their lives. It was good for them. Most civilizations didn't practice those sort of things. But God established some things there that would protect the people. And it's extremely important to keep them. Now, he gave those laws to them, and it was to be a blessing to them, but it was also to be an example so that other nations all around would see them and see as they followed these laws, see how God had prospered them and blessed them. And they walked in health, and they walked in strength, and the government grew strong. They were to be an example to others. The problem is that instead of it being that kind of example and witness to others, instead of it just being a blessing of the Lord to them, the Jewish people started keeping all of the ceremonial laws, the Israelites keeping all these regulations because they considered this was the way to approach God. So unfortunately, instead of it changing their lives for the good, it created spiritual pride there of look what I'm doing. I keep all of these laws. I keep all of these rules. Righteousness comes through the law, they said. So God has laws, cleanliness. Then cleanliness 
is more than that. Cleanliness, let's take a look secondly at cleanliness and the heart. Now, in an effort to develop and sustain more, more pure Judaism among the people, the Pharisees expanded the law of Moses. They added over 600 more laws and regulations that the people were to keep. They prescribed all sorts of, of specific rules to follow and how many steps that you could take, particularly on the Sabbath, what you could do, what you could not do. About different rituals of cleaning cups and pots of washing your hands, ceremonial cleansing. And their laws became law. And by the time Jesus walked on the face of the earth, it was not just cleanliness was next to godliness, it was that to them cleanliness was godliness. Now, for them a person was judged on the outside appearance rather than on the inside. What they were doing was very meticulously trying, and, and we, we know they failed, but trying, attempting, or at least keeping a facade of keeping these laws, waiting for the arrival of the Messiah that I'm sure they thought would condone and honor them because they kept the laws. But interesting thing about it is that when he came, they were blinded to even recognize him. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, he said, you search, speaking to Pharisees, religious leaders, he says, you're searching the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You look at all these regulations, all these rules, all these, all these rules and laws here. You think that in this you find eternal life, but he says, the scripture's talking about me. He says, involved in all of these do's and don'ts, you haven't even recognized that you're with the one who's the source of righteousness in life. We see this in several places of scripture, but in Mark chapter 7, uh, when you start in verse 1, it says, one day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Verse 2 says they noticed that some Jesus' disciples were not following the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. And we all agree it's a good thing to wash your hands before you eat. But I think this has, is speaking to more than just washing your hands. This is, there's certain ceremonial washing rites or rituals they were to go through before they ate. And it says, he, they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony. What was Jesus' answer? Verse 6. He said, and Jesus had a way of being very direct at times. And he said, uh, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. You're a people that honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Your worship is a farce. You teach man-made ideas as commands from God. You ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. Verse 14, after all of this, and he talks about all the ridiculous rules and laws that they had established that were to make a person righteous. And he, he calls all the crowd then to surround him. And he says, now listen to me. He says, try to understand this, verse 15. It's not what goes into the body that defiles it. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Cleanliness is a matter of the heart. It has to start there. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 through 27, it says, Woe unto you, or what sorrow waits you, teachers of religious law, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to clean on the, the outside of the cup and dish, but inside is filthy, full of greed, self-indulgence. 
You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will become clean too. That's where it starts. It starts from the inside. Verse 27. Woe unto you, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious laws and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity or uncleanness. Very direct, but very true. He's saying everything that you're trying to do outwardly, all of the, these, these laws that you've established, and these traditions that you established, it will not do anything about making you righteous. It will not make you clean. You have the facade and the appearance of being holy, but inside you're rotten and you're empty and you're dead. It is a matter of the heart. A matter of the heart. A kids church teacher, a, talking to his class one day, he, he, he held up a piece of soap and he said, you know, soap cleans us on the outside. What can clean us on the inside? One little boy jumped up and waved his hand and he said, and he said, eat more fruit. <clears throat> That'll clean you on the inside. <laughs> Jeremiah 2, verse 22. Though you wash yourself with lye and you use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. Romans 3, 20 says, for no one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands, the law simply shows you how sinful you are. Galatians 2.16 says, A person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's through His blood, not by obeying the law, not by the works of the law. Righteousness comes through Jesus. We're transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that anyone in Christ is a new creation. Old things passed away. We become new. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new nature. In other words, put on the new man. Starts from the inside. It's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's where cleanliness, that's where holiness comes from is a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Not through external keeping of the law, rules, religion. Now I think we're all pretty well aware of that. It's not the first time we've heard that. But it's amazing how people will try by their own efforts and by their own religion to win approval from God. It's amazing how people can uh, even take uh, believing that uh, politics or, uh, will clean up things. Now, we know it's the right thing to elect uh, uh, the leaders that stand for what is true and what we believe aligns with the Scripture, but uh, what's needed in America will not, will not ever come about just through political changes. People try to clean themselves by maybe going to therapy. You know, our culture is one of blaming others and and victimhood rather than taking responsibility. Nothing wrong with getting legitimate help, but that's not really the solution. The problem is a heart problem. It has to start there. So many of us grew up, I grew up in a, in a small church, a country church. So the gospel was, was preached, I'm sure, is taught in Sunday school. But also many years in growing up, <clears throat> excuse me, it was just information. It was what we did. We got up and we went to church. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other time it was set. And, and that, was, that was important. You practiced, you did that. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing those things except when that, begin, when that becomes a substitute for relationship with God, when you depend upon that for forgiveness for your sins or to be right with God, 
And that's where the problem comes in. You spend all of your life trying to do the right thing. I know people right now that really want to do the right thing. And they participate maybe in church. Or they, even if they don't, they live a good moral life. And, and their understanding is, is they try harder. If they just try harder and do the right thing, then that's all that's necessary. How miserable that must be. How difficult that must be. How impossible that is to find peace through that. Peace comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It takes a heart change. Amen? Because God looks on the heart. Absolutely. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, you know, where, uh, where Samuel was going to uh, anoint the, a king for Israel. And uh, he approached and saw all the different candidates that were there. And he looked at them and he looked at how they appeared. And, uh, you know, there were some that looked just like they were just a right fit to be king, and particularly one of them. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his outward appearance or height, for I've rejected or refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you ever heard that before? Well, the Bible does say that, doesn't it? The Lord looks upon the heart. Now, the final thing I want to look at is that cleanliness is important. This is where it gets fun. Cleanliness is important. A lot of things are simply tradition, aren't they? One thing that's, uh, one thing that's just tradition in many places about church and has been for, uh, it still is in a lot of churches, is this. You know, I'm wearing my Sunday best this morning. And it's a suit and, suit and tie. And there were times and there are even churches that you just don't, you know, this is the dress for coming to church. But I think most of the time, I'm the only one in this whole building. <laughs> in that. And, uh, you know, why do I do this? Because it, it makes uh, me holier than anybody else. Why do I do this? Because I believe that God told me to do this. No, for right now, the reason I do it is I'm more comfortable with this. It's what I've done all these years, and I'm just more comfortable with this. I know it seems... I know it seems ridiculous that with a tie that I could be comfortable, but I'm more comfortable in the setting. Now, will that change eventually? It, it, it may do that. I may become a very casual person here in the next year or two. <laughs> right? And that's when, but we, we grew up the fact that uh, your parents would tell you you need to go get your Sunday clothes on. We knew what that meant to go get your Sunday clothes on. We about in years gone ago, they talk about this is your Sunday best. You need to wear your Sunday best. And in the mindset of that was, the mindset of that was, I think in most cases, was this gathering and this coming to church and worship God was very important. It, it was very important and it was a place, it was different. It was, it was just different than your regular daily routine. It was different and you wanted and presenting yourself before the Lord. I mean, I understand you before the Lord every day and every moment, but this, this occasion of coming before the Lord in worship, there was this idea that you just want to look your very best. Kind of like coming and bowing before the king. You don't want to come looking sloppy and dirty. Now, some people have taken this and made a religious law out of it. And that this is a sign of, there's some people that will judge others if they don't wear proper clothing to church or to worship for different occasions. There's a real problem with that. There's a self-righteousness 
That's just like the, that's just like the Pharisees and the hypocrites to say, you need to wear a suit if you're going to be more like God. I'm thankful for times that are more casual. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm sure you are too. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. I'm sure you're thankful. You can come. You can come dress casually. Now, there's a difference between dressing casually and plain old being sloppy. There's a difference. There's some people that were so set free, but I don't have to live, I don't have to, to, to wear a suit and tie anymore. Sure, thank God we've all been set free. We can dress casual because God looks upon the heart, not on outward appearance. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the outward appearance at all. Now, where did we get the idea that he didn't care about the outward appearance? His focus is on the heart. But does outward appearance matter? I think it's something for us as Christians to look at because I think there's some important points to discover from this. So yes, there's a problem in people being religiously puffed up and pride because they're dressed a certain way. I've been in places where people would look down at others. If someone was less fortunate or, or maybe dealing with things at, at home and poverty and things and they'd walk into religious settings or churches and they'd be looked down upon, frowned upon and and talked about, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. We should be open and accept people, no matter what they look like, no matter uh, what's going on in their life. We, we are to love them, absolutely. Absolutely. So this is not a substitute for real righteousness. Yeah. Um, Some people, I don't know, over the I've seen times when it seems that people took, uh, that some people took great pride in trying to look the worst, or the one, you know, looking worse than the one around them. You know, I'm, I'm going to be the sloppiest, the slouchiest. I heard about two little boys, and one of them bragged one day and said, look, my hands are dirtier than yours, with a big smile. Look, my hands are dirtier than yours. And the other kid said, yeah, but that's because you're a year older than I am. You know, it's a matter of the heart, but it's a good thing, it's a good and proper thing to take care of yourself, to be clean. Now, there's a learning curve there, depending on how people are brought up, their environment. Some people are brought up in a sense, and, and, and where they live, different cultures. We've been to a lot of places on the mission field where it wasn't clean. But we've also been in a lot of places where the people were in deep, destitute poverty and had very little, almost nothing, but they were clean. They had water. They were clean. God doesn't look at the heart, but here's one thing that I think a man does. Now, man should not look at the heart of a person to judge them, but the truth is in society, we're often judged by first impressions and when people see you and what they see, aren't they? Aren't we? Yeah. So do we have a responsibility there? Do we have a responsibility as Christians to set an example? Does that mean that I'm supposed to live to be a man pleaser or a, per a people pleaser? That I'm just supposed to be concerned? I'm afraid that way I dress is going to offend someone else? Or am I just supposed to be worried and try to, 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 to please everyone else? No, not at all. But as Christians, particularly as you mature as a Christian, as you learn more, we want to present ourselves in a way that will honor Him the most. 
We want to present ourselves in a way that's Christ-like. And growing up spiritually means I'm more diligent about how I take care of myself. I'm more diligent about how I take care of things. I'm more diligent about my whole life because I want my life to honor Him. We're called to be an example, to illustrate Christ. So here's what's important. In Ephesians 5, it says, walk carefully, living with honor and purpose and courage. Walk carefully, living with honor. Now, a couple of things here. When we're looking at, at cleanliness, we need to look at our personal life. Do a little self-examination in our personal life. This is where the pastor steps over from preaching and goes to meddling and getting in people's business here. But, okay. If you want to point it out, this is, if I haven't already, this is where it is. This is something for all of us to think about because I look at these things, I kind of laugh at some of them and I would think, how in the world do I really get that across without sounding like we keep a bunch of religions or uh, religious uh, uh, rules or, or that we're supposed to dress a certain way? Or uh, how, how do we do that? And so I, I want you to hear my heart this morning that I think that the Lord is saying to His church today that we need to be mindful of the kind of example we set. We need to be mindful of how we look in different settings. And you dress differently according to settings, right? Where you are. And when the Bible talks about modesty, people try to define modesty. You know, you define modesty by uh, how long your hair is. You define modesty by how long your dress or skirt is. You define the problem. The problem has been when men and women try to get in and try to make rules and traditions and rules to try to tell everybody what modesty is. The truth is for any Christian that will seek the Lord and examine the Word and realize that they have an accountability before the Lord and an opportunity to be an example to others, we will want to look out, search for, and discover the ways to look our very best. And another word for modesty is appropriate. God help us as Christians to learn to be appropriate in, in our attire, appropriate in, in the way we present ourselves to others. Not because we want people to see us. Not at all. Not because that will make us any closer to God. Not at all. But because we want to be a good example of Him both inwardly and outwardly. And that, I'm not prescribing a dress code. In Christian school years ago, and I was an administrator of a Christian school for a few years, and you know, um, we always had this issue come up every year. We 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 got to have a dress code. <laughs> you know, you know what people, you know, telling what people are going to wear. If we don't have a dress code. You know what? It's tough to try to sit down and write out a dress code because you begin looking at some people think one thing is proper and other think it's not, and we are, and. and what you really need to do is get to a place of responsibility and a place of spiritual maturity to where you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit that helps you to see what is proper and what is right and what is best and what is appropriate. It's hard to legislate it. Now, I do think certain guidelines help, but it's hard to legislate that. So in our personal lives, Lord, help me. Help me in my personal life to be more of a life of order and not chaos, to take care of myself to present myself in a way that will demonstrate your love, demonstrate your power, and demonstrate your blessing in my life. Cleanliness. 
in our personal life. Cleanliness in our home. Now, Leanne's already asked everybody to hold up their hand this morning, to everybody that hadn't left a messy house this morning, so she really set me up. On the, you know, we don't compare notes. We never compare notes on this, but she'll usually say something beforehand. It's always good to say something to connect, but this morning she set me up because now too many of us confess that, yeah, we did kind of go off and leave a messy house here or there. Well, don't get, very, don't get real defensive. You know, Proverbs 31, 27 Ladies, it says that uh, the Proverbs woman, she watches everything in her household and is not lazy or idle. I was talking to a woman there. It's, it, it's speaking through that 31. There's so much in Proverbs 31, but it's speaking of, of the beauty and the, the influence and the glory that comes from a woman that will... That will Bless her family, take care of her family, do, do what she's called to do and take care of her home. I, I think guys, guys have responsibility there too. Just to sort of dig myself out of that hole right there. I think guys have a real responsibility there. Hey, look, I understand what it is. I used to say things like this. Hey, you don't understand what kind of schedule we have. You don't understand. Look how many kids we have. I, I, I understand all that. I, I, I've been there, done that kind of. I'm not talking about an immaculate house. I'm not talking about everything kept perfectly clean and in order all the time. I'm talking about being mindful of doing your very best that your home would be kept somewhat clean and in order. It takes real effort to do that. Now, what does this have to do with being Christ-like? What a tremendous witness that is to other believers for Christians to live in an orderly way, that way. And what a blessing that is to those people who can achieve that goal of doing it in their family. You know, um, recently, uh, recently I, uh, I added on out to the, to, we have barn structure out there, and I added on to the side of it, and I put some storage buildings, and I put a workshop. I've never actually had a workshop. I haven't done any work there yet. <laughs> I've been working on the workshop. We got the workshop built. And I'd always thought, because here's, here's the, kind of the story of my life. When you need a screwdriver, I don't have a clue where to find one. And if you find one, it's the wrong kind. When you need certain kind of pliers or, 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 or wrench or... And, or you need a certain tool, a, a certain kind of saw or something, a drill, and you go, get, you know, you go looking through everything and digging through stuff and you find it. And um, so now, I should have brought a picture for you. Now I have the shop there that's just laid out and it has all the tools hanging on the wall around there in order. Not labeled, but they're in order. And it's got certain tools with a, with a regular arm saw and with a table saw and with a drill press. It's got them all strategically placed and everything. And I can walk in there and I find myself just walking in there and admiring it. <laughs> I'm deeply thankful for that. It, now there's a lesson in there. There's a whole other sermon in that. And I can't go there right now, but there's a really good message in 
and having something that's set up and beautiful and yet not use it because sometimes things that have to get dirty in order to be produce. Okay. All right. We'll say something for another. But anyway, my whole point of that was that now, even though we're not out there working a lot yet, now, whenever I need a particular tool or something, someone says, hey, uh, do, do you happen to have a, do you happen to have a, uh, uh, a power drill? You have to know where it is. Yes, sir. I know exactly where it is. What kind do you need? I, 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 need, I need a level right now. Do you know? I, you have to have a level. Yes, sir. I can take you. I, I'll go get it right now. It doesn't matter. Right now. Right now, I've got it. It's in order. It's in order. There's a certain amount. There's a satisfaction about that. And there's, there's a, it's, it's practically benef- it, it's beneficial in many ways. It, it will save you time. And for some people to save you stress, I mean, you won't be more stressed out as much over it. But there's something about having things in order that calms you. There's something about having a certain level of order that brings peace. And I believe the home is supposed to be a place of peace. Now, I know. I, 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 I understand. The first thing that pops up in a lot of people's minds is this floor strong with all kinds of cereal and toys and I understand there are days. There are days. I don't want anyone leaving here today feeling guilty or even upset at me that I'm sitting in judgment because you don't keep a clean house. No, I'm saying that, that with God's help, we can learn to maintain more orderliness and peace in our personal life and in our family. And I think there's value in that. I really think there's value in that. Uh, so how do I do that? Well, Organize, have, have a place for everything. Don't procrastinate, be consistent. You know, I found out that what I have to do with my shop is every time I use a particular tube, just as soon as I can, I take it and put it right back where it goes. If I don't, within a matter of two or three weeks, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be scattered everywhere. So there has to be a consistency. This is not, there'll be catch-up time when you get behind. There'll be times when things are messy and you've got to play catch-up and it's not going to be that way. It's not, everything's not going to be perfect every day. But if you, will, if you will stretch this out and if you will do it a little bit every day or if you'll be consistent in what you do, it won't be nearly as trying. And in taking care of the household and the family, one thing is, is for parents to involve your kids. They used to call them chores. Now most kids are simply served, waited on. Wouldn't it be good for the kids and good for the whole situation if they were taught early to take care of certain things in the household and help out? And, and probably a lot of you do that. But oh, what a blessing that would be. And oh, what a blessing that would be when they grow up and get married. Oh, what a blessing it would be to you and your family. And what a help it would be to your kids to accept that kind of responsibility. But even though we're talking about keeping everything, you know, I, don't go crazy with this. I'm not talking about squeaky clean. I'm not talking about everything. I'm not talking about the white glove test. I, I'm talking about, uh, d- don't be so obsessed, you know. I, I kind of think this may have happened at our house a time or two, but because it seems like that before we go anywhere, Deb is intent on going through and making sure as best we can to leave a clean house. And I'm saying, wait, what does it matter that every load of laundry is done right now? 
What does it matter that every dish, what, what, we're going to be gone for a few days. Ain't nobody coming here. What does it, where does it matter? Nobody's going to see the house, so why does it have to be clean? That's just my thinking. Well, you never know what might happen. And I wouldn't want somebody to have to come into our house and find all this in a mess. I've heard, I've heard ladies say, yeah, look, we're going, we're going away, and if, if, God forbid, but if something were to happen to us and somebody had to come into our house, I would be so ashamed. Now, some people take it a little bit too extreme, but there's value in learning to keep a good, orderly household. And there's nothing wrong with leaving a clean house when you go away because that means you'll find a clean house when you come back. So it's a good thing. See, my, my point is this morning in looking at it, first of all, is we have a tendency of saying, the Bible says this when actually the Bible doesn't say this. We quote things and we say that's in the Bible and it's not. As I mentioned before, my, my grandfather, Smith, Papa Smith always said, he quoted his scripture. He said, every tub sits on its own bottom. And for years I thought that was in the scripture. Cleanliness next to godliness is not in the Bible, but God is in favor of cleanliness. Cleanliness doesn't come through keeping laws and regulations and rules. That makes no one righteous. Cleanliness comes through Jesus Christ, starts on the inside with your heart. But then after that, it begins to change you and transforms you so that that clean heart begins to produce a different kind of life. And that life becomes an example and a witness to others, and our appearance does matter when that happens, we are responsible there. So yeah, be casual. Enjoy it. You don't have to be so concerned to be all dressed up. And you won't always be perfectly clean. I understand that. That's fine. But there is a level of responsibility that we have. Because the truth is, cleanliness is important in the heart and on the outside. Well, amen. We've, we've, had, our, we've had our practical school lesson today. We're going to look at six more things, fake news. We're going to look at six more things that are in the Bible that people think are in the Bible, but they're not over the next few weeks. I, oh, not, not doing that today. We're going to look at six more things in that. We're going to have a lot of fun with this, and there'll probably be some interesting things before I even get to preach each Sunday. So take this. It's a summer fun time. It's a learning time. It's a practical time may not be the most super spiritual message some people hear and that, but I think we can learn and grow practically from it. I hope you can take from this and take something home. Say, so, you know, I could do better there. And Lord, help me to be sensitive about that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Father, thank you for a time to be together today. And thank you for your word. Thank you that through your blood we are made clean. Though our sins were scarlet, Lord, they're white as snow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made clean. And Lord, through your word, through your word, we maintain that. Your Bible says, your word says, our Bible says, that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, Lord, and you, we commit ourselves to you. First of all, Lord, so grateful we don't have to depend upon our own behavior, our own keeping a set of rules, but we can have a real relationship with you because, Lord, you gave your life for us. Change our hearts, Lord. 
turn us more and more toward you. Help us develop a lifestyle that honors you and encourages others. Lord, that's our heart. That's a desire to keep us clean before you by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.